Hey, everybody. Thanks for, for being with us as we continue our celebration of Christmas in our teaching series, These Things We Know For Sure. This week, I wanted to actually circle back to one of the points that I made uh, last week and, and dive into uh, it a little bit more. Last week, I, gave, I put out these statements, right? These five statements about where Mary was able to find certainty in God amidst all the uncertainty that surrounded her, right? And we have the same access to the same God, right, that we can find um, that, that certainty. And those things were God's people, God's word, our need for God, God's power, and God's faithfulness. So I just, I wanted to, to set that up for us and to remind us again of the, um, the situation and where I got those ideas from. We're actually going to go back to that passage of Scripture. Those, it was 30 verses, and if you were with us last time, you saw the video. Run the same video for you um, so we can get a good foundation for diving back into this text and digging a little bit deeper. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, since I am a virgin? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, 
just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. All right, so that was Mary's beautiful, beautiful song of praise and trust and, and worship to God as she, um, God puts this plan in front of her that just kind of it feels like throws more uncertainty in front of her, but all of her confidence is in God and what God wants to do in her and through her for everyone, for, for us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the same question that kind of created this sermon, right? So the, the question is, which one of those five things stands out to you? God's people, God's word, our need for God, God's power, God's faithfulness. So as we're going through it, at any point this morning, you can go ahead and drop your answer in the chat. Which one of those things and why? Um, if you're thinking about it, you want to send me an email later, smoke signals, whatever. I would just really love to know which one of these things stands out to you the most and why. So the one that stood out to me the most was God's power as communicated in verse 51, where Mary says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, right? So throughout scripture, God's arm is a symbol for his, um, for his power, for his omnipotence, for his willingness to move and act on behalf of people, and especially for those people who love him. Now, God cares for everyone, right? There's a, there's a scripture that says, um, God causes it to rain on the evil and the good. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. However, with that being said, God also takes special care to look after the lowly, to raise up the humble. Um, he brings down the proud. So there are certain things that we, we can do to, um, to make sure we stay on the right side of God's arm and certain things we can do that would put us on the wrong side of, of that arm. So with that being said, though, let's not think about God as a, a genie to be uncorked when we want him or need him to do something for us, right? That is, that is not the case. The really cool part about God's power is this, is that the exercise of God's power is always based upon God's initiative. In God's perfect timing, out of his perfect character, he acts on our behalf with all of the force and the power and might. So I want to kind of share with you where I'm at personally that created some of these thoughts, right? As I was thinking about this question, which one of these things stands out the most? And I read that, that, that line about God's arm and his mighty deeds. It made me think about how I've been wrestling with self-doubt. Um, I, I have been struggling with um, thinking that I, I just I can't be and do everything that I'm supposed to be and do, uh, everything that I think I'm supposed to be and do, everything that other that I think that other people think I'm supposed to be and do, stuff at home, stuff at church, stuff at, at the gym, yard work, right? Whatever it is, I'm just I've been overwhelmed by these feelings of of self doubt. And in, in God's mercy, right, he, um, he met me in the middle of that. And, and as I go through this, you'll, you'll understand how not only did God reveal his power to me, but he also revealed his faithfulness. So, I, yes, I'm cheating. I, I, picked, I picked two of those things. So if you want to pick two of those things that stood out to you the most, and actually as we go along, 
You're gonna see bits and pieces of, of all of them, I think. But God took the initiative to remind me, to reveal to me his power and his faithfulness in the midst of um, just this overwhelming self-doubt. And it begins with uh, God's faithfulness rooted in his abiding love that we find offered to us through Jesus. Right? Jesus extends himself to us, meets us where we are, so that we can experience God's faithfulness, this abiding, abiding love. I want to just point out to you three passages of Scripture. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm going to kind of summarize them that describe this love that God has for us, that Jesus came and walked with us so that we might know. The first one is John 15, 5 through 11. And Jesus describes this love, this abiding love, as the same kind of relationship as a vine to branches. If a branch gets cut off from a vine, it's going to wither up and die. If a branch remains in the vine, Jesus describes it as having his joy to completeness. Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you, and I want that joy to be complete. And the way that that happens is in that abiding love, in that vine-branch relationship. Within that relationship, the vine, God, acts out of his character. He cannot do otherwise. And that passage in Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses as, um, as patient and gracious and kind and really, really patient. I know I said that twice on purpose. Um, so Moses would know that he could trust God. And in those verses in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, not only God's character, but that character drives his actions. And he describes that abiding love and the way it works. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not easily angered. It, um, it does not keep any record of wrongs. Again, it's patient. The abiding love of God is patient. So out of God's character that is shaped, that is that abiding love, um, he met me where I was at in the midst of that self-doubt. And he, I felt like God was telling me to slow down and not neglect him. To slow down and not neglect him. And I try to mention this as often as possible because when we talk about an interactive relationship with God, one thing that um, can kind of get in the way of that is, well, was that me? Was that God? What was that? And really good way to check is if that lines up with Scripture. And almost immediately, a verse came to my mind from Isaiah, right? This is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. And it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. All right, so I was feeling pretty good that God was telling me to slow down. And you'll see how the, this whole verse actually plays itself out through, through the rest of the story. Remember those pieces, repentance and rest, quietness and trust. That's where our strength is to be found. So I slow myself down enough to uh, remember some of the things that I've been learning recently about gratitude. When I get to a point when I feel like I can't, I'm not relating to God um, I don't want to. I don't want to relate to God. I'm not relating to other people. I don't want to be around other people. If I can can stop and intentionally call to mind something for which I am grateful, I can reverse that process. Right? Not like laundry list gratitudes or anything like that. But to to think up uh, think of a, a person or a moment or a memory or an experience 
where you can, can identify God's hand working in that situation to, to, to speak to you, to speak to us. And as I did that, as I slowed down, I was sitting in my office in my chair. I kind of put my feet up on the ottoman, and I was just thinking uh, a group of people came to mind. There was a group of young adults and two um, not-so-young adults who, who helped lead me to Jesus. And the, the particular configuration of this group of people, their personalities, their interests, their ability to, um, to put up with my shenanigans and to meet me where I, I was at, it was so clear that God had orchestrated those relationships so that he could bring me into relationship with him. And I was just so, so appreciative of those people and all the time and effort that they put into me. And with that, with that process, um, my, my relational circuits were back on. And intentionally engaging in gratitude actually creates a physiological response in our brain. Those circuits which were shut off, which were not allowing me, which were keeping me from wanting to be with God or with other people, were now turned back on. So I was open to receive from God, to receive from other people. And what God was communicating to me in that, once I was kind of back online, as it were, um, he opened up, he he redirected those attacks of self-doubt Right? He redirected those attacks of self-doubt and, and turned them into this character-forming lesson for me. And God was once again calling me to humility. He was calling me to recognize my need for him. There's another one of the five things. Now I'm up to three. I don't um, causing, calling me to recognize my need for him and my limitations. Right? I was trying to to do things that were not mine to do. I was trying to control things that were not mine to control. And in the process, I was getting exhausted. The opposite of humility is pride. You guys, pride is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. But in what God was, was gently redirecting me out of this self-doubt into this, this lesson, um, it was not only this freedom from this pressure to do all and be all and know everything and, and fix everything, um, but there was a confidence that came with it because he, he put some verses on my mind that squarely places responsibility for results on God's shoulders, on God's shoulders. Um, these are two pretty well-known verses. If you have a church background or if you've studied the Bible at all, you probably know these uh, the first one is Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Next one, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There it is, God's power. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardship and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So real quick, on those, on those two verses, it's still my job to do the walking, to be on that path and be walking. But it's God's job to set the destination and to set the course to get to that destination. I need to just follow God's leading. 
And the second one uh, from, from 2 Corinthians about um, taking joy in our weaknesses. And we don't take joy in weaknesses for weaknesses' sake. It's because recognizing those weaknesses, those limitations, as areas that God can and will reveal his power in and through is a reason to celebrate. I was, I was convicted, I was convicted of, of this idea that my weaknesses are God-given, right? I have a unique set of gifting and wiring and challenges just like you do, and those weaknesses, those limits are given to me by God so that I might trust him more, so that I might turn to him in the midst of those weaknesses. God took as only he could in loving kindness. He took that doubt, that self-doubt, and he transformed it into this lesson about humility. I want to share one more really interesting thing with you about these three things. Um, I, I, the relationship between humility and a slow down pace and gratitude, it's, uh, it's not circular and it's not linear, right? So I just, I, the only thing I could think of is like a matrix or like a network where those three things serve to amplify each other. So I'm now in this place where God has put it on my heart that I need to be um, more humble. And by that, I mean, recognize my need for him, recognize my limits. And in doing that, I am free to slow down because I can trust that God can run the universe if I take a five-minute break in the middle of the day and, and to pray and to be still or to just be silent and be with God. Five minutes to just be silent. Or even more so, I can trust God to carry on his work and, and to keep things rolling along if I take a day a week, I take a day off, I take a day of Sabbath rest to, so that God might restore the, the strength that I've exerted so that I might go into my work for the week from a place of rest. With that slow down pace, I, I, I find um, more experience of God. And in that, I am more grateful. With that, that gratitude, my relational circuits are on and I'm able to look at my limits and my weakness as, as God's limitness, limitlessness. There's a mouthful for you. Try and say that again. Look at God's limitlessness and my weaknesses. So those things all, they come together, they work together and they amplify each other. So you guys, that was, that's kind of my story. The, one of the five things, actually three of them, right? That, that really stuck out with me um, from Mary's story, the, the idea that we can be certain of those things about God, even when the world spins seemingly out of control around us with all kinds of uncertainty. We can trust in God's people and in God's word and, and trust that God will meet our need for him and we can trust in his power and his, his faithfulness. Hey, I want to remind you of that, that challenge I left with last time to, um, to read Luke 1, 46 to 56 daily between now and Christmas, maybe commit it to memory, and then reach out to me, reach out to Leanne, somebody, uh, a group leader, somebody else, and let them know what God is saying to you and what you are going to do about it.